Please be seated. If you pray with me for just a second and we'll continue our worship time together in the word. Uh, Lord, you've given us a sword, your word that can cut mightily into the either the deepest sinews and tendons of our of our spiritual bodies and touch us where we need to be touched and and uh, lifted where we need to be lifted. And so now, uh, may your Holy Spirit fall upon us and be our guide, our comforter, as we move into the next moment of our life. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I uh, can't help but mention uh, the passing of a great man. Um, I think it, it's appropriate. We, we did yesterday mention Billy Graham. Um, it's like he was a father figure, um, a spiritual father figure to many people. And, um, um, and I think uh, the results, he made many children. He offered the Lord and the Spirit moved through him and many children were born through him. Um, I think of one who was amongst us, uh, uh, who was in our congregation for a time. He lives up in Georgia now. Is Earl Sandifer. Some of you may remember him. He was converted at 22 at a Billy Graham rally in Columbia, and uh, Earl's up there now. He's either at the end of his 80s, or as that tells you how long Billy Graham has been uh, uh, an effect on our lives. I I, I like this uh, one remark he made one time, and there are all kinds of quotes coming out all over the place now from Billy Graham, but the one that stands out, he was... Uh, there was a, a movement in uh, in this country oh, about the late 60s and early 70s. It was called the Death of God movement. And famous uh, theologians were debating whether God or not, uh, whether he was alive or dead. And, uh, and, of course, they asked Billy Graham. And Billy Graham says, well, I, I just talked to him this morning. Uh, and uh, I... <laughs> So I think uh, I think that kind of says it all, doesn't it? And that we are thankful for this father figure amongst us. But now, what does that mean? You know, there's an old expression in the culture that says when a father dies, that's when the son comes into his own. And um, uh, and and I think uh, that says something to each of us because we are his children, but we are many of us adult children. And we never leave our childhood, by the way. We just kind of graduate from one level to another. And, uh, and there was something that happened in, in this Olympics, I think, that uh, got my attention. I, I was amazed, in fact. And, and you won't read about it. You won't hear about it. I, when I got home from uh, church, was it last Sunday? Um, well, I turned on the television and... And they were just getting ready to start the 15-kilometer, that's a 9.3-mile skiathlon, it's called. Now, some of you may have seen it and may not have seen it. Uh, but it's, a, it's, it's almost like a sprint on skis. For Now, those of many of us, of course, being in the South, don't experience snow that much. But I, I guarantee you, I've, I've skied cross-country and on touring skis, and 
um, I'm w- with my son on my back, by the way, when he was uh, just a little kid. And uh, we'd go through the woods around the school where I was teaching at that point in New Hampshire. And, uh, and, and uh, we didn't go nine miles. Of course, there were other times when we went further, but not with him on my back. Um, it's a grueling experience if you're sprinting on skis. And you're, and now I'm trying to visualize this. I should have brought my poles and all, but I didn't. But just imagine going like this for nine miles. Your whole body is pushing, pushing, pushing. And, and you're going like this. Okay. You get the picture. Uh, well, as the ski athlon started, this one event started, 30 seconds into the race, about four or five of the lead runners, the lead skiers, uh, collided, and they were all tangled up together and fell. And, um, in fact, one of them broke his pole. And uh, so they scrambled to untangle and get up, and, and this one fellow was in last place, the one with the broken pole. And so he started out with the, broken pole, with the unbroken pole, and someone on the side handed him a pole, so he started, and, and of course the commentators were saying, "Oh my gosh! Well, well, he's a young guy, you know. He has other Olympics ahead of him. He can, he can uh, ski then." And so all the all the uh, commentary and the pictures got on the race, and the leaders and the leaders were sprinting ahead, and and it was uh, it, it really was quite it's quite I, I I was feeling with them along the way, and uh, and then about halfway through. They mentioned this, uh, the skier that had fallen, you know, see, he's about halfway up in the race and about the four or five mile mark. And, and uh, they uh, said, well, gosh, wouldn't it be something if he meddled, you know? And it, uh, but they didn't give him a chance because everybody else was ahead. Well, he ended up winning the gold. Amazing. And the two skiers from his country that he had passed, meddled with him, silver and bronze. He actually had caused them even to spurt ahead, but he was a good hundred yards ahead of them at the finish. Now, like I say, it's probably one of the greatest comebacks I've ever seen in any sport. All right. But it'll go unnoticed, and, you know, the Olympics has passed and so on. Now, uh... He was interviewed um, after the race, of course. You know, and, oh, my gosh, you want a gold, you know, all that fussing. And one of the commentators interviewed him said, uh, you must have thought along the way about things that, you know, that, that were, you had to get through. And so on. he says, yes, I, of course, he said, but I just put those behind me. And, uh, and I said, you know, there's a great parallel here. It brought me to thinking about one man who who ran a, a one-man race 2,000 years ago. And he had all kinds of can'ts do this. You know, I can't do this, I can't do that. And But he had a goal in mind. This, this skier 
had the prize, the gold medal. He knew that was his. But he had to overcome a lot of stuff, didn't he? The Bible in Revelation would have called him, um, based on the churches in Revelation, the seven churches, which all say the same thing, to him who overcomes. Overcomer. Think about how this skier overcame the obstacles. He had to pass 67 other skiers. He had to go up hills. He had to go through packed snow. He had to face wind. He had to, but, but the most important thing, beside the external factors, he had in his mind and heart and the spirit in him had to somehow overcome all the obstacles that... that but it was an internal thing, wasn't it? It, it? it happened in here. In fact, I found his name on Facebook, which I hardly ever get on. But uh, I sent him a congratulations. I, I said, thank you for sharing your heart with us. And, um, and, and it, but it did. It took me back to Jesus. Think of what he endured from the time he made his decision. Now, he went through a lot of training for 30 years, didn't he? You know, he, he grew up in his family. Uh, he grew, it says, in wisdom and stature with God and man. So he did a lot of training for 30 years. And then when he went to be baptized, John baptized him in the Jordan. And from that point on, he knew something in his life, according to the word of God, which he grew up in, that he was to overcome Every single temptation, every single thing that draws us and makes us self-centered. He was to, to embrace all of this stuff in his heart, take our place. And he started in a wilderness, didn't he? He started in the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy, Satan, the devil, the evil one from the dark kingdom. The, the, the person who had trapped the whole world, who became what the Bible calls the prince of this world. See, the, the skier ran to get the first, the first prize. Jesus ran to do the right thing, to gain the right place. For each one of us. Look at what he had to go through internally. I mean, externally, he, he had to walk through the mountains. He had to walk by the, by the lake. He had to sleep. He, had to, he, he en endured all kinds of struggles along the way. And, and the thing was that, that as he began to go through his life, the relationships narrowed in his life. That is... All the people who would have or were supposed to be his friends and his followers, slowly he lost them all. And at the cross, he was alone. The distance from Herod's court to Golgotha, where he was crucified, is approximately 2,000 feet. Uphill all the way. And... Uh, and he had to carry a beam, the beam on the cross on which his, his arms were outstretched. Now, when we think of the cross, I think we've got to understand what that cross symbolizes. It's not just Jesus' sacrifice 
on the cross, that he sacrificed his life for us and overcame sin on the cross, defeated sin on the cross. It's what that cross he took meant. Now remember, the, the way the scholars describe it, at least, is that the vertical beam was already there, planted in the ground. He carried the cross beam. He carried the cross beam on his shoulders. If you can visualize 2,000 feet, that's a lot of feet. Carrying an 80 to 100 pound beam of wood on your shoulders. And he fell. Remember he fell and Simon Simon from Cyrene, he, 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 he was there and he helped him up. But that was after the torture. His body was beaten, and, but he had a goal in mind. He knew the prize was his, his, his father. He was returning to his father. He was returning to the kingdom over which the father would make him king. He was returning in the power of the spirit up to where the spirit would leave him. And he would die in our place. I think it's, it's amazing. He says in Mark, in this, in this gospel we heard this morning, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The skier did it, didn't he? I mean, he, he took a kind of cross, but he didn't take up the cross of Christ. He took up the kind of of uh, uh, goal in his mind that that first place would give. That metal. But in Jesus, he was carrying us on that horizontal beam, and that's what the horizontal beam is all about. The vertical beam is his relationship with his Father. Remember, he says on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He did it all for his father. Not my will, but your will be done. And then, those outstretched arms, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing, these people that crucified me. Now, I know we're ahead of time. It's not Good Friday. But I couldn't help when I saw that skier doing something that was basically impossible, coming from last to first, over nine and three-tenths miles. Jesus, for three years, walked the hills and mountains and shores of Galilee, confronted by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, confronted by the, his own family who thought he had lost his mind and went out, as it says in Mark, to take charge of him. And his closest friends, only one was at the cross, and of course his mother. But mothers will do that, won't they? Won't they be there for their children all the time? And then he says, if you want to be where I am. And see, this is the ultimate goal, isn't it? That all of us were made in the image of God. You and I, each of us, are images of God. We have a mind, we have a heart, and we have a spirit. It's the image of God in us. And, and Jesus, mind and heart and spirit of God, in Jesus, were perfect. This perfect unity with his Father, this perfect unity with the Spirit. 
and he was the, the heart of God. And he took it, all of it, to the cross. Shed blood was sacrificed in our place for our sin. And what is that sin all about anyway? What is sin? It's the self-centeredness. It's things like, you know when you're uncomfortable with people, you stand around and, gosh, uh, they said this or that and that may really made me uncomfortable. Or the people you avoid tend to avoid more than others. Uh, uh, you know, it's nice to see you this morning, but I really have other things to do. Um, when you're out and about and, and you see somebody that, you know, you kind of feel like you need to say something to them, but you don't. Because, I mean, they'll think I'm crazy if I just walk up to them. You know, that, these are the subtle things in sin, aren't they? Aren't they? The, the subtle things that we do. Uh, the things we won't talk about when we have a... Uh, I mean, hey, that we all do this when we're married. I think there are times when we have those moments of silence, you know. They may last for two or three days. And, uh, and, and, and what caused it? Our self-centeredness. Men and women don't think alike. And, and it causes us to be broken here and there. And, and, uh, and, and where does all that separation come from? What we ultimately understand is what Jesus did. He took upon him what we all feel inside. The aloneness, that, that separation we have from God and that separation we have from one another. No one is at one with anyone else. I mean, at times we may feel like we are, but... But, and, but the thing that we're really longing for and what that separation inside of us, that aloneness inside of us that says we were made for a relationship with God. Jesus came to give us that relationship with God. And I'll tell you what a relationship with God does. It gives us an intimacy with him that reorients and changes the way we think with our minds and feel with our hearts and act in our spirit. It changes the way we we view people in the world. It gives me a sense of patience. I don't get upset every time I see something that I don't like or, or some emotion that is threatening to me. I don't act in fear anymore. I kind of wait for the Spirit to give me the next move. Do you, do you all know what I'm, I'm saying here? That, that it, it, There's something deep inside that God does to us that we're not alone anymore. Oh yeah, I'm alone in my body. But just think about the skier, about Jesus. Compare the two and, and think about what the skier had to overcome. Now think about what Jesus had to overcome. It all takes place in the invisible eye that is in each of us. And Jesus says, for this purpose, this is the purpose I came for it's to restore our relationship with God. And when we're talking about a relationship with God, we're talking about a spiritual intimacy that every time you pick up the Bible, you may not remember all the words you read, but something happens in your spirit that it changes. And I'm saying when, when I read this, this lesson this morning, it's something happens. And he's asking me to take up a cross and what is the cross? Well, I can't take up his cross, but I can take up what his cross, how he went to the cross, and that was faith. That's the cross we're called to bear, trusting him in everything we do. Now, let me tell you, I just had this experience the other day. I have to go to the hospital three days a week for rehab. I'm getting physical rehab from the heart stuff I was dealing with in October. And uh, I'll be through in about four or five weeks. 
Um, uh, but anyway, uh, it was a very interesting experience. While I was in the in in the rehab, I'm on a treadmill. Okay, and and the only way I can get through the treadmill is to think about cross-country skiing. So I do this when I'm on the treadmill, you know, and I go like that. kind of gets me through the treadmill part. Well, next to me, there's a very frail uh, older lady, uh, and and she's kind of walking like this. And I I talked to her, and she's got her daughter with her. She's from Haiti. And so the daughter said, well, I have to talk. Y'all have to translate for you. And I said, how are you doing this morning? And so uh, I told her, you know, she told, told me what was going on. And I said, well, I'll pray for you. Her eyes lit up and she just looked at me. And she told her daughter to tell me I have a friend. I was her friend. Okay, now I'm saying, it, you never know where any of this stuff's going to happen, Right. Isn't that right? I mean, you don't worry. So I'm I'm going out. I finished the rehab. I had another chance. It was a guy from Clemson with a Clemson shirt on, and it turns out he was a Christian. He kept on babbling about Christianity, and I said, I agree with you. And I just kept going like this while I talked to this lady. I'm talking to him, and uh, and so I, I get and go down the elevator, and there's a guy leaning against the elevator like this. Oh, yeah. So I you know I got the elevator, got downstairs. And he's leaning against the wall again. And uh, so I walked up to him and I said, uh, you know, is there anything I can, I can say, you look down, you know. And he says, yeah, yeah. he's going to get a heart transplant here soon. So I'm telling you, these things just, thank you, Lord, you know. Um, so I said, so I st- I, he went out and sat down waiting for his car with his wife. And uh, his name was Theodore. And um and I found out this morning that his name means gift of God. And uh, anyway, I, I knew it. It was something carried by God or gift by God. Because Theo is, is the word, Greek word for God. So I, I talked to him for a while and I prayed with him. Laid hands on him while we're sitting on the, the bench down there and on the, uh, where we leave. And, uh, and his eyes lit up and he was so thankful and I know that he's different. I'm saying, I didn't intend for any of this. When you're open spiritually to what God wants, when you take up your cross and approach in faith, something is going to happen. Jesus is going to do something. The power of the Holy Spirit brings Jesus right into the situation. And I stumble with the words and pray probably some... You know, awful prayer, but the words come out and the person is, the Spirit's doing the work. You don't worry about how articulate you are. Oh, you did this so well. You know. No, no, no. We're talking about, about someone who overcame all of this stuff and did it for us and went to the cross to prove it. That his life is the way, is the truth for the mind, is the way for the heart. And the life of the spirit, the way, the truth and the life. You think Jesus, you think spiritually. Okay, You let Jesus take your heart. What are the blocks in our heart? I'll tell you what sin does to the heart, does attitudinal stuff. 
Well, you know, all women are like that. You can't live with them and you can't live without them. Women, men, you can't live with them and you can't live with them. You do all this stuff. We do all of these kinds of gyrations because we're trying desperate. We want to be intimate with people. We want to have brothers and sisters and friends we can trust, which is what the body of Christ is supposed to be doing, is getting us into an intimate relationship in Christ with each other. That's, what, that's why we have small groups. You know, and Billy Graham, Billy Graham just didn't operate all alone up there and decide, I'm walking out there tonight and I'm all alone. But you're with me, Lord, I know. Yes, but you know how he got that? And he says it over and over. He had a small group that he put his whole heart and soul into. He confessed. He did. He talked about it. He said, I have a small group that I, I meet with all the time. And he learned, he learned on the road to God. You see, we're not preparing for death, folks. We're preparing for life. I say that. That's what we're, that's what we're doing. And, and, I, and this is what Jesus did. He went and lived in the midst of people, taught them. And every word he said was a perfect word. I got a bunch of them here, but I figured you wouldn't want to sit here while I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> All those since you laughed, I think I'll start with Matthew 1. I, uh, this, remember, the cross is not just a vertical beam. When we come to worship and we all worship and, and man, we feel good about God and there's words of prophecy and there's, and there's singing and it's all going to glorify God. What happens with that? Where's this? Wasn't that what I was talking about? Brooke, wherever you are, we, we, got, yeah, we got one mind on that thing, don't we? That we, we have to begin really looking at this body as a body of intimate brothers and sisters willing to share their life with one another. Because that's the love that goes into the world. That's the love that captivated the first believers. That's the love that caused 3,000 people in one day to receive the Lord Jesus and be baptized. And it can happen here. And if any of you have issues of intimacy, <laughs> we all do, folks. There's no one free from, from issues and attitudes. And, uh, and I, I will tell this one if you don't mind, tell this one story. Years ago, I, those of you who have been here for a while, forget it. Those of you who haven't been here that long, <clears throat> Mary and I were skiing in Colorado. And we went to a place called Eric, downstairs at Eric's. Yes, you, I know you heard that, Dory. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I can't, it just, it just comes up now. And, she, uh, and the waitress came over. And uh, gave us the menus, and I looked at the menu, and, and on the menu, you know, and I, I always kind of have a little interchange with the people while we're ordering. And uh, I noticed on the menu there was jerk chicken. I said, what in the world is a jerk chicken, you know? And I told the waitress, she came over and said, are you ready to order? And I said, well, I, I probably would have the chicken, but I'm not interested in a jerk chicken, a chicken that's a jerk. She said, oh, you mean a chicken with an attitude. <laughs> and I said, that rung my bell. I said, how many of us don't approach when we walk in the door with an attitude 
as, as soon as we meet somebody or, 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 or get, hey, do you know what? When I was growing up in New York City and going to high school there, I mean, I come out of North Carolina and going into high school in New York, the, the biggest thing was learning how to fit in. You know that feeling of wherever you go, you have to fit in? Sin! That's all about sin, is my fear of not fitting in. And Jesus went to the crosses. It doesn't make any difference whether you fit in or not. Just trust me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I will be with you to the end of the age. Ah, now we have an intimate relationship with God. It is God who enables us through Jesus Christ, in the power of the Spirit, to have intimacy horizontally with wives, with friends, with bosses, with those who work for us. This is why Jesus came to restore the intimacy, the intimacy with God that we were created for so that we would have intimacy with one another and change the world where we are. Remember, Jesus didn't go to Rome and demonstrate. He didn't carry picket signs. He wasn't organizing the disciples to, to get the best way to, to, to manipulate politicians so they would get their way. No, Jesus bore the, his own disciples' rejection because he wasn't going to fit into what they wanted. Peter wanted, said, I'll be with you no matter. I'm not going to let anybody do anything to you. And, he's, and, and Jesus heard Satan in Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. No, he wasn't worried about fitting in. He was, he was given the love of his father, the will of his father, and the Holy Spirit of intimacy. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's why so many people are afraid of the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues and all that kind of thing. Hey, they're afraid of the intimacy that is being demonstrated. Because that's not me. I don't want to be seen as one of those people. That's an attitude, folks. And Jesus took that on the cross. And when it kills other people, it couldn't kill him. And he rose from the dead. We're Easter people, folks. Yeah, we may be in Lent now, but we're really Easter people. Jesus is Lord. And today, I'm going to ask you, do you desire to have more intimacy with God and one another? I would say that's the goal of all souls. To know Christ, the intimate one. And make him known as the intimate one. No hesitation when we meet people. Just the opportunity that it presents to pray with them, to talk to them, to bring Christ to them. And bring them into the body. Bring them into the body of Christ that they can discover what we've discovered. My fear is being overcome. It's not overcome yet. But it's being overcome every time I take up that cross of faith and just see somebody and walk up to them. Wouldn't you like to have that ability? I would like to do something now that we don't maybe do 
as Episcopalian Anglicans or whatever we were. But I, I do want to give anybody here an opportunity to say, yes, I want, I want intimacy with my Heavenly Father. I want to be returned as an image of God to the one who makes the image complete. I want to be completed. I want to be fulfilled. And if there's anybody here right now that would like to, to deal with Jesus, be like a skier that's got through the mountains and the cold air and you're going through the cold air of rejection or you're being fired or you're being upset or things are falling apart on you, you have a, an opportunity to receive the one who changes it all. You can do that right now. And I would ask uh, anybody, please come forward and uh, receive him. I know most of you are believers, so don't be afraid. Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love is faith in Jesus. Perfect love is calling to you this morning. I need him as much as you do. Just uh, pray right now that. Let me say something. I was saying something to you about something the Lord gave me a couple of years ago. Every next moment, every next moment is a gift from you. Every next moment, every next moment I'll live for you. Every next moment, every next moment I'll serve you all I can. Yes, every next moment, that moment I'll do all I can. You died on the cross, that holy loss was for each and every one. Your blood there was shed, but you rose from the dead, the Father's only Son. In glory you reign, heaven's king to remain, and when you come again, you'll bring us home where you are, and together we'll all sing amen. Just, um, oh, thank you, Lord. Praise you. Um, hey, guys, help me pray with folks. Brooke.